Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Rick Kiley. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. Gospel of John, chapter 11, verses 3 through 6. Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now Jesus loved Martha, his sister, and Lazarus. You know, when people get sick, it's really hard to have a lot of faith. And you wonder why Jesus isn't right there doing what you've asked him to do right then. But he's got a good reason. And when he heard thereof that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. And then if you drop down to verse 17, it says, then when Jesus came, he found that he had been laid in the grave four days already. His friend died, and yet he said the sickness was not unto death. You see, from Jesus' perspective, death is just taking a nap. We're all going to live forever. But this time between life on earth and eternity is called death. And it means sleep. So he let him sleep four days and then he came and woke him up. And today I want to speak to you on this subject. We worship with our hands before we work. Worship with your hands before you work. God bless you. You may be seated. Our bodies are really quite simple and yet so difficult to understand that even the greatest doctors and the greatest minds of men can't figure it out. Aren't you glad that you don't have to tell your heart to beat? You don't have to talk yourself into breathing. It's all natural. Now the body is made up of what we call a trunk which is about from your waist to your neck, and then you have a head. Your body is also equipped with four branches. Two of them take you places with feet on the bottom of them so that you can rotate and pivot because if all you had was legs and they were just stumps on the bottom, you wouldn't be able to turn very well. So God created feet so that you would have the ability to turn directions and move rapidly. He also created two other branches. They are called arms. And with these arms, at the end of them, you have hands. With these hands, you can do. So the two branches called legs take you to where you need to be, and the two branches called arms allow you to do something when you get there. So when we take a look at what we call Palm Sunday, we are looking at these two branches And at the end of these branches, 
on the inside of these hands, we call these palms. When Jesus resurrected Lazarus from the dead, he specifically waited until the fourth day. The fourth day. Because every resurrection that ever took place in the Old Testament happened within three days. Even the resurrections to this point that Jesus have brought back to life happened within three days. You see, the Jews believe, and also the Christians in our nation in particular, believe that a person's spirit can stay with them up to three days. That's why nobody gets buried before three days. It's not just making funeral arrangements and, and setting up a, a funeral home and all the things that need to be done for a funeral. No, we wait three days because we believe that there's a chance that this person could come back to life. But on the fourth day or beyond, we bury them if they don't come back to life. So Jesus, you'll notice it said, abode two extra days. He could have been there before Lazarus died. But he knew exactly what was going to happen to Lazarus, when he was going to die, and when he should arrive for his own glory. So he waited. He loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. So if you're ever going through a trial or, or a sickness or if you're even facing death, you can be assured that Jesus will show up on his schedule for his glory and for your good. But it doesn't always go the way we want it to go. God doesn't answer every prayer that I offer him the way I want him to answer it. He is sovereign, I am not. His thoughts are above my thoughts and his ways are above my ways. He knows what he's doing and I only see what I think is the present and part of the past. I certainly don't know the future. I need to trust God who knows the end from the beginning. So he waits until the fourth day and everybody has given up on Lazarus and he comes to Lazarus and calls him forth. When he resurrects Lazarus, all of Israel soon finds out that somebody has been resurrected on the fourth day. This means that if your mother, your father, your sister, your brother, your friends, your relatives, any of them could now come back to life if this man just stepped to their graveside and called their name. He has the ability to do this. The word spreads from Bethany to Jerusalem and Jesus comes down from Bethany to Jerusalem but the miracle has preceded him. And because of what he has just done, everybody is so excited that they're cutting branches off of trees palm trees, and they're throwing them in his path, or they're waving them in the air, and they're singing his hosannas, glory to God in the highest. People are taking off their sweaters or their, or their light jackets, and they're throwing them in front of his donkey, because they know who he is now. They think they know who he is. And the shout and the cry and the worship and the praise are deafening when he comes into Jerusalem. And the religious leaders who have had a problem with him for over three years 
are disgusted with the fact that he gets the worship and they don't. They are so stuck in the law that they can't see the spirit of the law. Do you know what I'm saying when I say that? The law is a piece of paper and says, this is what you do and these are the consequences. And the religious leader said, well, we need to adhere to the law and we need to make sure that everybody else obeys the law. We will take the highest seat in the synagogues. We will be the ones with great wisdom that will interpret the scripture. We'll enforce the rules. And we want to be the ones that receive praise. But here comes Jesus. He fulfills the law. He not only takes the scripture and says, yes, I know what the scripture said, but let me show you the spirit of the law. The spirit of the law. You want an example? Jesus says, you have heard in old that thou shalt not commit adultery. That's the law. That's the law. You know what the consequences are for the law. But let me share with you the spirit of the law. If you look on a woman to lust, you've committed adultery in your heart. The religious leaders didn't want to hear that. They probably had their own struggles. Maybe that brought conviction or even condemnation on them. No, we just need to stick with the law here, Jesus. Don't give us your twist. Don't give us your interpretation. Just stick with the law. As long as I don't sleep with another man's wife or fornicate with another person, I'm okay with the law. Don't tell me what I can think and and how I can feel and what I can do with my eyes. Don't talk about the spirit. Just let us live the letter. And the problem was, nobody was living the letter. Nobody was fulfilling all of the law. By the deeds of the law, no flesh were justified. Not the Pharisees, not the Sadducees, not the high priest, none of them. But they wanted to give the appearance that they were. And they were jealous of Jesus. And so when he comes into all this pomp and circumstance and all this worship, they begin to cry out and say, hey, You need to tell these people to tone it down. We don't think that this is necessary, that they be so exuberant in their worship. And he smiles. And he said, if I tell them not to worship, the stones will immediately begin to cry out. If they don't worship, the rest of nature will. You see, we get the first shot at worship. We get the first shot at worship before nature does. I don't know if you've ever considered this, but, but the fact that God created trees and the wind that blows through the trees, do you ever see them waving? Do you ever wonder if that's worship? If even nature says, my, what an awesome creator. Magnificent in creation. We were born to worship, folks. We were born to worship. And the problem is, is that most people haven't found the true object of worship. Let me give you a few verses of scripture from David. I I could go on here. I have way too much material and I have learned that I just gotta cut some stuff out and emphasize what I believe the Spirit's leading me to do with this message. 
So let me talk to you from David's perspective and give you just a few verses of scripture. Psalm 47 and one. Oh, clap your hands, all ye people, and shout unto God with a voice of triumph. There is no folding of the hands in scripture, but there is a clapping of the hands in the scripture. Psalm 134 and two, lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. 1 Timothy 2 and 8, I would that men would pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands. Lifting up holy hands everywhere. We are not just limited to a sanctuary. You can be out on a, what a beautiful day we have today. Isn't it a beautiful day? You may go for a walk today just to be alone with God and you can lift up your hands and thank God for the beautiful day and the great things he's done everywhere, anywhere, but especially in the sanctuary. Especially in the sanctuary. That's why it's so difficult sometimes because people don't see this letter of the law, worship. They don't catch the spirit of worship. They just don't understand. Take a look here. I want to take you to the woman at the well, John chapter four for a minute. John chapter four. The woman at the well. I'm only going to just pick out just three verses here that I want to share with you. He speaks to this woman at the well and he says, you worship, you know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. Did you make a connection between salvation and worship? Did you see what he just said? I understand for you as a Samaritan, it's difficult to understand the way that we worship. But the way that we worship is because salvation is of the Jews. If all you have If you have no bread, you have no home. If you have no friends, if you have salvation, you can still worship. You can still clap your hands, lift your hands, shout unto God with a voice of triumph because at any moment, all of that other stuff wouldn't matter anyhow. If salvation is of the Christians, then we have a right to worship. If that was all we had, it would be enough to worship. He goes on to say, but the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers, that means there's some fakes. The true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. You know what God's looking for? Worshipers. He's looking for worshipers. He pays attention to people that love him. And glorify, are thankful for what he's done in their lives. He pays attention to those kinds of people. God was looking for you today. Did he find you in worship? God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And that word spirit is not a capital S either. It's not a, ooh, I'm listening to the spirit. What should I do now, Lord? Clap your hands. 
I'm waiting till you tell me how to worship. No, that spirit is a small s and it refers to we should be enthusiastic about the way that we worship. We should not be inhibited by other people and what they think about concerning our worship. We should give God the highest praise, not just a mumble, not just a meditation, not just a thought. We should be exuberant in our worship. I remember when I was in high school, we used to have pep rallies. I've been to Lambeau Field and I've seen people with spirit. Don't let them, don't let them lead you. We should be leading them. We've got something, the Packers had a lousy season in my opinion this year. And look at the money that was spent and the enthusiasm that was spent. If we gave that much to God, where would we be? We'd be filled with the Holy Ghost. We'd have the joy of the Lord as our strength. You see, because everything that happens, happens through worship. It happens through worship. Did you know that a worshiper is the only title that you can keep through eternity? There will be no pastors in eternity. That title is gone. There will be no husbands. There will be no fathers. There will be no sons. There will be no daughters. There will be no politicians. There will be no athletes. It's all over. You're either a worshiper or you're not. You're either a saint or an ain't. It comes down to that. Choose to be a worshiper. Get into a practice service every day. Get into a practice service every day. Learn how to worship in spirit. Not just in truth. Not just in truth. Take a look with me at Genesis chapter 22. 22 and 2 says, The Lord said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I'll tell thee of. Abraham did not have this only child, the only child, until he was 100 years old. Now his favorite and only son, whom he loves, is 25. He's in the prime of his life. They have a strong relationship and a strong bond. Abraham has taught him everything he knows about God and what God requires. And now God says, I want the thing that you love most. So Abraham rose up early in the morning. He saddled his donkey. He took two of his young men with him. He took Isaac, his son, and clave the wood for the burnt offering. He rose up and went unto the place which God told him of. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. Three days. And Abraham said unto the young men, Abide ye here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. What did you see there when I just read that last verse? He didn't ask him to come and, and offer up a worship service. He wanted a sacrifice. Abraham knows that you can't worship without sacrifice. 
You came here today to the house of the Lord. That was a sacrifice. Other people may not have made it. They're the ones that missed out. You made a sacrifice. But when you came here and you began to worship, that was a sacrifice. When you come to an altar today, the Bible says the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a contrite heart, O Lord, you won't despise. But Abraham said to the two guys that were with him, hey, you guys, this is as far as you go. You can't go any further. You need, there, there needs to be a time when you separate yourself from the people that are around you and you go yonder. You're not with the group anymore. Is anybody preaching with me today? You're not with the congregation anymore. This is something that's personal. It's worship. It's offered unto God. So you guys can only go this far. I want you to know that I believe the Lord wants this congregation to go to a new dimension in worship. Farther than we've ever gone before. Where we get so lost in God that we don't know what time it is and we don't care. We're just going to worship God until God dismisses us. Until God says, okay, thank you, you can leave now. We don't need a preacher to tell us, all right, the service is over, now go home. We need the Spirit of God. We need a worshipful attitude that says, I'm going farther than I've ever went before in worship. I don't care what these other people do. You boys, you stay behind. Me and my father are going to the top of the mountain. We're worshiping. We're worshiping. Isaac trusted God, and he trusted his father Abraham. And if it meant that he would lay on that altar with a 125-year-old man and a knife in his hand, he trusted God, and he trusted his dad. And if he was going to be the sacrifice, he was going to go out worshiping. I've seen part of my responsibility is being in hospitals. I've seen lots of people die. I don't like it, but I've seen all kinds of people die. I've seen people that are near death screaming out in fear and anger and hatred. It's an ugly, ugly sight. It will make the hair on your neck stand up. You will not be comfortable in that atmosphere. And yet I've seen other people with a smile on their face. It's just like they go to sleep. The Lord is with me. He's given me the grace that I need. This is it. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. You're with me. Worshipers can handle that kind of a situation. Let me give you another example. Moses. Remember when the children of Israel cried out to God and God sent them a deliverer by the name of Moses? And said, Moses, you're going to deliver my people. I'm going to work through you and Aaron. You remember all the plagues that were coming on the Egyptians and how Pharaoh would continue to harden his heart? Finally, he realized he was losing his grip on the Israelites. And so he said, hey, if you need to go, then, then maybe you need to take off. Go ahead and go. But, 
but who's gonna go? I want you to see this verse of scripture. This is Exodus 10 and nine. Who's gonna go, Pharaoh asked. And this was Moses' response. When we leave, we will go with our young and we will go with our old. We will go with our sons and we will go with our daughters. We will take our flocks and our herds and we will go for we must hold a feast unto the Lord. We're leaving Egypt three days journey away to go and worship God and we're taking everything and everybody with us. Do not sacrifice your children to the Egyptians. Well, bless God, I'm gonna serve God and you're gonna have to make up your own mind. Never give up on your kids. Never quit praying for your kids. Never quit inviting them. Never quit encouraging them. Never quit worshiping before them. Never quit praying before them. I remember when we, we had our first child, Cheryl. And I remember a specific Sunday where I just happened to be in the pulpit. I might have been leading a worship service or something. And I noticed that my little daughter, Cheryl, probably about this big, standing next to her mama, looking up at mama, and mama's got her hands in the air and she's worshiping, and little Cheryl's looking at her and going like this. Got her hands in the air, singing with her mom. You know, they, they tend to follow the example of their parents. Instead of that being a negative, why shouldn't it be a positive? Why shouldn't we example our children through our faithfulness to the house of God? For our willingness to come to the altar after every service and get together as a family and pray together. Why shouldn't we show them how we handle difficult situations as a family? Because if you do, when they are old, and I don't know what that means, I don't know if that's 19 or 20 or 40, but I know this, if it's been put in them, if it's been exampled, if they know the importance of worship and prayer and sacrifice and praise, then when the chips are down and they've used up all of their alternative answers, they're gonna come back and say, hey, I know the way it is in my father's house. And the prodigals will come home because they've been exampled. They know what they're supposed to do. They know where their bread is buttered. Never give up on your kids. Be a worshiper. Let me conclude with this. I think I've made my point, so I need to quit because I want, I want there to be a response today to God's word and the cry for worship. The cry for worship. Second Samuel, chapter six, let's go there. Second Samuel, chapter six. Here's what's happened. The children of Israel lost the ark. It was taken from them by their enemies. And for a long period of time, there was no ark in Israel. But David found out where it was, and it was brought back to Israel. The presence of God, which had been absent, was returning to Israel. And I want you to see how the king of Israel handled the return of God's presence. Verse 15, 
So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. You see that word shouting? When you get older, you don't always like shouting as much. But you better get used to it. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. There's going to be shouting on the hills of glory. When you see Jesus, it's not going to be so good to see you, Jesus. I wish you could turn me down. It's going to be, turn me down just a second, please. Thank you, Aaron. I really appreciate it. It's going to be so good to see you, Jesus. I've been waiting for this for a long time. I love you. I appreciate you. I worship you. All that I've been through, it's been worth it all. It's been worth it all. Thank you for being so good to me. Thank you for giving me the best of heaven. Thank you for dying on a cross. It's been worth it all. Hallelujah. That's the way you're going to act when you get there, folks. So you might as well start practicing. Start practicing and being ready. Oh, Jesus. And when the ark came into the city of David, Michael, Shaul's daughter, looked through a window and saw the king, David. Look at this guy. Leaping, dancing before the Lord. She despised him in her heart. Let's take a look at David before we take a look at his wife. This is the king, the highest office in the land. This is my opinion. You don't like it, throw it away. When the Bible said that David was a man after God's own heart, I don't think it meant that David had the heart of God. I think it meant that David was after God's heart. He wanted to be pleasing to God. He did not always succeed. Sometimes he failed, but he was always in pursuit. And even when he failed, he repented. He filled his pillow, the Bible said, with tears. The pillow was soaked with tears in his repentance. He didn't blame anybody else. He pleaded with God for mercy and grace and God gave it to him. But above all else, he was a worshiper. Do you know what the book of Psalms is? It's songs, songs that he wrote to God, songs that he led Israel in. He was a worshiper and he was not inhibited and he didn't use his royal office and his fancy garments and even his throne. I mean, if he had one, he probably threw it on the ground. He was a worshiper and he was leaping and he was dancing and he was singing just as we worshiped just for a few seconds earlier. That's the way he handled 
The presence of God coming back into Israel. His wife. Verse 20, David returned to bless his household. Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and she said, Oh, how glorious was the king of Israel today who uncovered himself today in the eyes of the handmaids and of his servants as one of the vain fellows shamelessly uncovereth himself. That means he probably tore his robe off. I'm not saying he was immodest. I'm just saying the royalty didn't mean anything. And here's David's response to his wife. It was before the Lord. He chose me before your father and before all of his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord, of the Lord over Israel. Therefore will I play before the Lord. You hear what he's saying? I felt like it. I wanted to do it. It's what's in my heart. And quite frankly, I don't care what anybody else thinks. It's not about them. And I ought to be an example. If I'm the king, is anybody hearing what I'm saying today? If I'm the king, I ought to set the tone. If I'm the pastor, I ought to set the tone. If I'm a leader, I ought to set the tone. If I'm a parent, if I'm a husband, I ought to set the tone. I should show people. I know you've heard this before. I'll say it again. I had a guy one, and he meant well. He did. He came up to me. He said, hey, pastor, you know I'm pretty, you know how much I love this woman, don't you? I really love this woman. And he said, you know, I've noticed, pastor, you're, you're pretty affectionate with your wife. Even in church, you're not afraid to go up and give her a big old bear hug and a peck on the cheek. He said, uh, you're, you're, you're pretty dramatical with your wife, even in church. And it was like the Holy Ghost just quickened me. I didn't even have to think about it. It was just there. I said, would you like to know why? He said, yeah, tell me why. I said, well, first of all, I love my wife. I love my wife, and I don't care what anybody else thinks. And second of all, I want you to know another reason that I, that I am that way. I need to set an example for the rest of the men in this church. This is how you treat somebody that you love that belongs to you. And thirdly, I want every other woman in this congregation to know that I am very happily married. Very happily married. Don't want to flirt with anybody, give anybody a bad impression. Are you hearing what I'm saying? When your love is that strong, now if that can happen between a husband and a wife, what should happen between the bride and the groom? Did we hug Jesus today? Did we lay one on him, so to speak? Did we express our feelings and our great love and admiration and appreciation and thankfulness? 
with our hands. We did it with our feet. We got to the right place. Now what about those palm branches? What about those arms? What about a kiss from you to Jesus? Not a betrayal kiss. A kiss between you and Jesus. So he said, therefore will I play before the Lord. He said, verse 22, it's probably gonna get worse. If you didn't like that demonstration today, stick around. There's more to come. I'm gonna go yonder and worship. I'm gonna get deeper in my praise. I will be more vile than thus and I will be more, this is the real, real hard part. I will be base in my own sight. You know why people can't worship? They're not willing to base themselves. Don't be a Pharisee. Don't try and be the high priest. I come to church because I expect people to praise me. No, no. Be base in your own sight. Be base in your own sight. And of the maidservants, which thou hast spoken of them all, I'll I'll be had in honor. Now watch this. Therefore, Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child till the day of her death. What does that mean, Brother Kylie? Well, here's what it means. Worshippers reproduce themselves. And non-worshippers remain barren. People like being around enthusiastic people. Do you hear Brother Dredska brought it up today? Ah, he was so enthusiastic about these cookies. Just had to try them. And then at the prayer meeting, they're so enthusiastic about this awakening, I just, I just had to try it. Guess what's going to happen if worshipers are around somebody that's visiting? What are you so excited about? And what would happen if the presence of God came where the worshipers were and somebody was in the midst of that presence? You could say all you want. You could have a great preacher. Unfortunately for you folks, you don't. But even if you don't have a good preacher and you got the presence of God and God can speak to people and touch their lives and answer their prayers and change their situations. You've got all that you need with the presence of God because it is presence. Thank you. Let's stand together. I was so excited last Sunday morning, right over here, Richard Scarce, came to the altar, wanted to receive the Holy Ghost. He lifted up his hands. He prayed for quite some time and a small group of people gathered around him and nobody gave up. Richard didn't give up. People that were praying with him, they didn't give up and pretty soon the group got bigger and everybody was, you know what was amazing to me? It wasn't just one person that got filled with the Holy Ghost. It was a group of people that were praying for somebody else that were being filled with the Holy Ghost. There was a renewal that was taking place. 
And finally, he received the baptism of the Holy Ghost and started speaking in other tongues. And you know where it came from? It didn't come from a prayer request. Oh Lord, please fill me with the Holy Ghost. It didn't come from, oh Lord, I, I'm trying to be a good person. Have I, have I become good enough to receive your spirit yet? If I have, please give me your spirit. No, it came from worship. I just love you, Jesus. I want you to be inside of my life. I want this gift that you've promised me that I can't earn. So you know what, Lord? I'm just gonna love on you. I'm just gonna worship you. And God takes that attitude and says, that's where I wanna live. And in he comes and out he comes. And people receive the Holy Ghost. So if you need, whatever you need today, maybe you, maybe you don't need anything. What a great day to just come and worship the King. Just give him what he deserves. If you need the Holy Ghost today, why don't you just follow Richard's example and say, you know what? I'm staying here till I get it. And while I'm here, I'm gonna worship you. Jesus, I pray today that this altar service will be a time of worship, worship from your people. It'll be Palm Sunday, not just in Jerusalem, but at 995 South Sawyer Road that you'll see our branches and our palms extended to you, that you'll hear our praises and our worship, that we'll give you what you totally, totally deserve for you're worthy, Lord, and we're thankful. And I pray, Lord, today that we would be pleasing to you. It's not about us, it's about you. So receive our praise and our worship today at this altar. Baptize, continue to baptize people with your spirit as they worship you in spirit and in truth, giving you back, Lord, what you deserve. In Jesus' name. Can we just lift our hands and worship just for a moment? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We worship you, Lord, today all the trials we've been through, all the times we've had needs and you've provided. We worship you, Lord, today. Whatever you ask, Lord, we might not understand, but we trust you, Lord. Hallelujah. Let's come to the altar. Let's just worship God today and let God have his way with us. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.